0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working and event space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3.
2: I I think we should realize that we more or less have a broken food system. When 800 million of us go to bed hungry, uh, 600 million are obese, uh, we waste 30% of our
1: food, then something is fundamentally wrong. We'll introduce you to one food waste solution happening in Asia.
3: They introduced a system where residents were issued an electronic ID card That would open an automated bin and enable them to weigh the food waste being dropped off. And then they would be charged, you know, in a certain amount of money for the weight of that food.
1: And we'll take a look at some of the real struggles happening closer to home.
3: How is it possible that a meal that was perfectly fine to consume at 10.59 p.m. then becomes waste at 11 p.m.?
1: So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Good evening and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting live from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. The Farm Bill is, of course, the primary legislation passed by Congress that sets national nutrition, agriculture, and conservation policy. Everything from domestic nutrition assistance to farm commodity supports to conservation to rural development to bioenergy, foreign food aid, and the list goes on. It's reauthorized every five years, or at least it's supposed to be. On the evening of September 30th this year, the Farm Bill officially expired with no new legislation to take its place, which begs the questions, why did this happen, what are the repercussions, and where do we go from here? Joining me on the line today to unpack all of these questions is Helena Bademiller-Evich, Senior Food and Ag Reporter at Politico, and one of my all-time favorite guests to have on. Helena, welcome back to Eating Matters. Thanks
3: for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> All
2: right. So we've got a lot to get through. We're going to get get right into it. I'm just going to lay the foundation a little bit. So the Farm Bill, it was developed in like the 30s, right? Um, can you tell us a little bit about like the original intentions, why it was first started, and, and then just generally like what are the major tenants of the bill now as they've changed over the past several decades?
3: Yeah, so I think the Farm Bill is one of the most Uh, It's really poorly branded. I mean, I think calling it the farm bill now is uh, a way for people to sort of have their eyes glaze over. Um, (laughs) We find if we use the term farm bill in headlines, not very many people click on them, (laughs) uh, click on the stories, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it because such a small percentage of the population is directly farming. Uh, It's like 1% or 2%, I think, depending on how you measure it. So Mm -hmm. Uh, The term farm bill doesn't feel relevant to a lot of people, but um, about 80% of the farm bill spending is actually uh, supplemental nutrition assistance program spending, uh, which is, of course, still known to most people as food stamps. Uh Uh, So it's really a nutrition uh, and food and farm and rural development bill. And I think uh, one of the challenges for the Farm Bill going forward will be figuring out how to make it relevant to people. But with all of that said, I mean, the the major parts of the Farm Bill are, you know, commodity support programs. So uh, basically, you know, figuring out how to support uh, farmers that are doing, you know, the traditional, like the big crops, you know, corn uh, soy, cotton, wheat—those types of programs. Uh-huh. Um, then we have conservation. There's a huge, uh, there's huge parts of the farm bill that focus on, you know, maybe uh, paying farmers to either take some land out of production and uh, make some more habitat for wildlife, or improve the practices that they're using. Uh, so it might pay, help them cover the costs of cover crops or different rotations. So promoting, you know, it's a really big land use bill. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also rural development. There's rural broadband. There's uh, bioenergy. I mean, there's just so much in this bill. And then there's a ton focused on, I think in recent years, we've really seen more focus on uh, promoting local and regional food systems, um, things like grants that promote farmers markets. I mean, the list of programs. Large and small in this bill. I mean, it touches every community and every state. Every eater Mm -hmm. uh, could find something interesting in this bill. It's just massive. So it's really a difficult um, bill to even begin to cover, you know, in this environment where people are tweeting and um, (laughs) reading these short sound bites. I mean, it's just, it's a huge bill. And uh, I heard someone recently compare the farm bill. Uh, to the Bible, it's like you, could, you 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 spend your whole life uh, learning about it, studying it, reading it, and you still don't fully understand it. Understand it. it. So- yeah. I feel that
2: way. <laughs> I feel that way but, about um, the federal, uh, like the school meals program, you know, like school oh, lunch. Yes, <laughs> That's yes, one topic yes. where the more I learn, the more like I realize how much I don't know. And, um, you know, so so I yeah. that, that totally resonates with me. And it is funny because I have broken up pieces of the farm bill in kind of previous episodes um, over the past, you know, nine months or so. But I decided to have you on to do a, a kind of like a recap like, where are we right now? And I was like, no, we're going to talk about all of it.
3: <laughs> okay. We're going to
2: yeah. do it all. I
3: mean, it's, oh, it's, I'm telling you, the bill has to be renamed. Like, I, yeah. this is like my big thing covering it now. Like, the farm bill, just the name farm bill is. Um, it's a bit of a snooze. It doesn't capture it. It just yeah. doesn't capture what the yeah. bill is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No. And you're right. I mean, you say what is like 80 percent that's dedicated to nutrition assistance, and so it is. It's a misnomer um, for yeah. sure. And then, so how big is the bill? You know, we talked about everything that's entailed in it broadly. Like how what what uh, what funding level is entailed with this?
3: So the bill that we're talking about, the the bill that uh, we're looking at for the next five years is uh, about $850 billion. this is a lot of money. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So and that's over a
2: five year period.
3: That's over a five year. Yeah. Um, so it's, a uh, it's, you know, that's real money. That's a lot of, that's a lot of funding going to so many different programs. Um, mm-hmm. and I mean, overall, you know, it's not a huge part of the, you know what are we? We're so many trillions of dollars in debt. It's a small part of the mm-hmm. actual, you know, federal spending, but it, it again it touches so much of of the national landscape. And um, kind of the fun thing about the farm bill is is every state, every congressional district, well, just about everyone, even the urban ones, you know, have something to be interested in this bill. Certainly. So, um, but that said, we you know it has expired. We are in a. Um, I don't know how much you want to go into like recapping the last six months, but basically the, the farm bill, uh, the 2014 farm bill expired, uh, October 1st. Mm -hmm. So we are now what, three weeks, Yeah, three weeks into, I'm like, wait, what day Um, is it? (laughs) I know, I know. Um, and there's been some really, really intense political disagreement over, you know, what the next five-year farm bill should look like. So So what is um, it? So, yeah, so what
2: happened? I mean, where, so the House, over the past, you know, six months, the House has its version, the Senate has its version. Where are we in the legislative process now?
3: Yeah, okay. So the the House, uh, they passed their farm bill very, very narrowly. Uh, I think it was in June. Um, I think it passed by two votes. It was super narrow, party-line vote. Um, it actually failed the first time, which is, um, I think caught a lot of people by surprise. It failed, then it passed narrowly with Republican only support. And that was really notable because farm bills in the past have been bipartisan. Mm -hmm. Um, we're, we're entering a new phase where, uh, farm politics are becoming more partisan. And I think, um, there's a lot of, uh, discomfort with that Mm -hmm. on the Senate side. We had a completely different process. The Senate passed their farm bill, um, in June, at the end of June, with really broad bipartisan support, the vote was eighty-six to eleven. Um, wow, you know, it's, it's that yeah. So you don't see that anymore. <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's not typical. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, the Senate, the Senate uh, Agriculture leaders, uh, Chairman Pat Roberts from Kansas and Debbie Stabenow from, or the ranking member De- Debbie Stabenow from Michigan, uh, you know. They're saying, like, our our uh, farm bill is so bipartisan. We should just, you know, you the House should basically adopt the Senate farm bill. Yeah. And the House, on the other side, we have uh, Chairman Mike Conaway from Texas and ranking member um, Colin Peterson from Minnesota. And uh, Peterson and Conaway do not see eye to eye on this farm bill. Uh, Peterson really organized a lot of... Um, Opposition to the farm bill, which is unusual. Usually, uh, the House Ag Committee and the Senate Ag Committee are sort of just—they're unusually bipartisan.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So we had this really bitter fight. It was mostly over um, the House wanting to impose stricter work requirements uh, in the SNAP program. So, you know, we had very different process in the House and the Senate, but both of them passed their bills.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And for the past several months. There's just not been a whole lot of progress made in uh, reconciling those. So what they have to do now is they have to um, there's conferees named, there's lot, the lawmakers on both sides come together. They negotiate a compromise and then that compromise has to get back through the House and the Senate. And right right now they're. Kind of deadlocked in the in the negotiation process, and that's why the farm bill expired. It
2: doesn't uh, have to at go at the end of September. At the end yeah. of September, it doesn't have to go to committee again, does it? It just it goes right. No, okay. so it'll go right back. Yeah. So
3: okay. They can, um, well. Actually, that's that's a good question. I don't know if it just sails right through, but the, really, the key is whether or not it can get back through the House and the Senate. Yeah, um, they might have to check a box through committee. I'm, I'm actually, that's a good question. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not I mean, sure it's, about that. Oh, but is a uh, pretty in the weeds yeah, well,
2: procedural question. So.
3: Yeah. So, so the, the 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 crucial question here is how do you thread the needle and get a compromise um, that can a get sixty vo- votes in the Senate, which is the crucial thing you have to. Uh, do to get a farm bill in the Senate, mm-hmm. and that 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 package has to also be able to get through a House. Um, House where Conaway has basically said, "Like I'm not going to pass a farm bill that has more Democrats than Republicans," so he doesn't want to move the farm bill. Uh, what is it to the left? He does. He does, yeah. So there's this weird sort of. Standoff happening over many different issues, and we can go into that. But that's sort of the big picture, right? Uh, macro problem is how do you get um, compromise on 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 a massive bill that could get back through both chambers? And of course, now we're in a, a midterm cycle, so yeah. And we're going to definitely political layer on top of all of that.
2: Yeah, we, I've got a I've got a whole series of questions that are you know under the category of just broadly like political. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we'll we'll talk about those in a in a minute. But I, what I feel like I'm hearing you say is Conway is like the big problem here. But um, <laughs> maybe that's just my interpretation. But all right. So one of the sticking points is SNAP. And do you want to tell us, um, you know, Maya, just just quick kind of statistics on on SNAP, like how big is it, and what is the, you know, who qualifies? Um, how big is this program currently? And like, if you do qualify. How much money do you get from it?
3: Yeah, so SNAP is, it helps about one in eight Americans right now. So I, I think that the current number is around 40 million people uh, get SNAP benefits. It's about $70 billion program. Um, and the, the numbers are going down uh, somewhat as the economy is improving. Um, but one of the things House Republicans have been saying is like, look, the, the numbers should be coming down a lot more. Mm-hmm. considering the economic recovery that we're in and the really low, I mean, we're below 4% unemployment. Like their argument is that snap should be shrinking more than it is because it, it is still very much um, above where it was before the recession. So, so there's, there's disagreement about like what, like how much snap should be shrinking. But the, I think the average snap benefits like 120 bucks a month. So um, not a lot. That does not seem like a lot. N- No. So it's, it's uh, it's not... No one can live off of SNAP. So I, th- I think that's the one, one really big misconception is, you know, SNAP helps families buy groceries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't buy toiletries with it. You can't buy prepared foods with it. There's all these things you can't buy. You can't buy alcohol. Um, it is a supplement to grocery uh, expenditures. Mm-hmm. It won't pay for your rent. It won't, you know, so you, you can't... Um, I think sometimes people hear food stamps and it, it, it sounds like this... Um, uh, welfare program that will that people can rely on and become overly dependent on, mm-hmm. and over um, time, a long period is, of time,
2: is what it sounds and so like. Some,
3: yeah, so that's what that's what the um, you know welfare reform folks are really concerned about. Um, so it discouraging work, but I think the other important thing to remember is no one can live off a of SNAP; like it, it's a supplemental, right. Um, Program.
2: People so. aren't buying lobsters and not eating.
3: <laughs> well, you know, you always have these one anecdotes that you know. In the totally. same way, you have anecdotes about crop insurance fraud. I mean, there is there any time you have a federal program, like there is going to be people that take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, but. And it's yeah, it's a pretty from what we from what numbers we have, the the SNAP fraud rate is is very low.
2: Yep. So. Okay. So, so the yep. they're the house is looking to ramp up work requirements. Right. That's the the big yeah. thing. Yeah.
3: So the 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 easiest way to understand what the House Farm um, Bill is trying to do is basically expand the pool of adult SNAP recipients that would have to work twenty hours a week on average to continue getting SNAP. Beyond right now, we have work requirements. They're waived in a lot of places, but it's basically if you're an able bodied adult between the ages of 18 and 49, um, that means er, without dependence. So you're not taking care of kids, you're not taking care of like a, a disabled, you know, aunt or something. Mm-hmm. You already have to work an average of 20 hours per week, mm-hmm. or you can't get SNAP longer than three months. But in states where um, they might have not as good economic conditions or in counties where they might have like a high unemployment rate or they might have, you know, there's different ways they can work it. There are waivers and a lot of places got waivers from the existing work requirements during the recession because a lot of people got laid off and a lot of people, you know, were having a tough time. So we're moving out of, um, we're, we're kind of transitioning away from having most of the country under under waivers. And I, I want to say right now, it's like maybe 40% of the countries still under waivers were sort of coming out of this period where a lot of the work requirements were waived. Mm-hmm. But what the House Farm Bill wants to do is expand the pool of adults that would be subject to those work requirements to begin with. So they would include um, more parents. So if you had a kid over the age of six, you might newly become um, subject to these work requirements. They also want to increase the age from 49 to 59. So... Wow. Um, that 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 age right there, where you would you wouldn't have traditionally been uh, subject to the 20-hour work requirements, uh, then you would become uh, subject to them under the House Farm Bill. But the those provisions and there's there's also some other ones around eligibility that are a little bit more weedy. But those provisions um, are are very 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 unpopular with Democrats. I mean, they were unanimously opposed to them in the House. It caused like a ton of just deep, deep uh, criticism and, you know, I mean, this farm bill process was really bitter and really partisan in the House. Every single Democrat voted against it. Um, That's incredible. You had people just criticizing it left and right. Yeah. A lot of it, you know, was focused on the SNAP work requirements. And in the Senate, they have said over and over, um, you know, you can't get these work provisions through the Senate with sixty votes, like Democratic um, senators will not vote for these, so right. they're they're considered DOA, dead on arrival, mm-hmm. over in the Senate. But it has still been a lot of the um, a lot of the focus in covering the farm bill and and talking about the farm bill has been on these work requirements because it was so controversial in the House.
2: So one of the um, like this like the CBO estimated that it would bounce 1.2 million people off the program, these, these, um, expanded work requirements. And actually there've been, um, reports and analyses that the number could be as high as 2 million with like a, you know, significant portion being households with senior citizens, children, uh, disabled people. What is the, this is going to maybe sound silly, but what is the connection between, um, you know, work requirements and losing, Assistance, like why would this cause a lot of people? Oh, to Oh, yeah. That?
3: So that's a really good question. Um, so there, there are, there are some other changes that they're proposing. They're proposing um, tightening up, like how a family can become automatically um, eligible. And there's so there's some like there's some eligibility uh, changes that are kind of complicated to go into. But basically, in some states, the if you're between the hundred and thirty five percent and hundred and eighty five percent of the poverty line you might have been eligible um, for SNAP in that sort of window. States are trying to make it easier for families that are right above above poverty to get into SNAP. They would clamp that down. So there's a few hundred thousand households in that number that would... So just to be clear, it's not 100% the work requirements. But the way a household would lose um, eligibility under work requirements is if the adult that was subject to them wasn't working 20 hours a week let's say they were working 15 hours a week or if they didn't um, verify their hours or if they somehow didn't meet the, the verification requirement um, they could only that you know they would they they wouldn't be able to stay on snap so that family um, that was getting it wouldn't be able to still get it and there's some debate about whether or not their children would still get it i mean they're they're not trying to like sanction kids off of snap but the overall benefit would go down because that adult would no longer get it so yeah okay um yeah it's, it's kind of complicated but but the one of the options under the House farm bill is that a family could enroll or an, an adult could enroll in um snap employment and training programs mm-hmm. um those are run at the state level um and some states do a really really fantastic job at get at helping snap recipients um find work do training do training programs so washington state is considered kind of the gold standard mm-hmm. but the issue right now is that snap employment and training is voluntary so the the folks that are going to be seeking out those services are highly motivated they're people who um, they might have some skills, but they don't have enough skills to get that job that they want, and so they're taking advantage of these services. Democrats really are against making uh, making the either training or work mandatory. Hmm. Um, you know, they argue some people don't have transportation or they might not have childcare or the, the work site might be really far away. So they're worried about creating barriers um, right. to people being able to access those programs. And, of course, Republicans are like, you know, we should be providing more training, and we should be um, incentivizing work. Right. So there's this kind of they're kind of talking over each other on that. So on that point,
2: when we when I think about um, you know, I looked up SNAP utilization rates um, by. Mm-hmm. Uh, state on the state level. And then this is a report from hunger free America. The, you know, here are the states that, that basically take advantage of SNAP the most. Mississippi, West Virginia, Louisiana, Tennessee, mm-hmm. Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, North and South Carolina. Um, and, and by the way, Mississippi, uh, t- an estimated 21% of the is on SNAP. What do those states have in common? <laughs>
3: In your opinion. Largely red states. Yeah. (laughs) So So there is definitely, yeah, there is definitely a gap between, um, how people think about SNAP, right? And the realities of SNAP. People also think about SNAP being an urban, um, program. And the the rural, um, rates are higher. Of course, there are more people in urban areas. So there's more urbanites receiving SNAP, but the actual rates of usage are, are higher in rural areas. And, um, it's it's just there's a lot of um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about who's on snap. Um, I just don't understand of, yeah,
2: like I don't understand oh, how ahead. these elected officials are, you know maybe if they're you know, and these are in red states and we have like a lot of Republicans with a, a proposal whose main goal is to like cut snap in some way, I just I just don't understand how that is something that is you know, our political reality right now, but that's maybe more rhetorical and rhetorical or <laughs> just,
3: well, it, it, it's interesting. I think the, um, if you look at the polling around work requirements, work requirements are really popular. Um, so there's a reason that, um, I think it's like on average, if you were to poll, it somewhere between like 70 and 80% of people will say like, if you have, you know, should re- recipients have to work for, um, like either SNAP or Medicaid, they're, they're broadly very popular. And there's probably um, a lot of reason for that. Like culturally, I think in the U.S. we have this um, really uh, strong sort of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps like mentality and that if I'm working hard, the guy down the street should also be working hard, you know. And, and I think there's, there's like some cultural element to that. And, and SNAP recipients themselves are, you know, a minority of the country. It's not like, um, overall you know, yeah. every single person, every single voter in these polls would say, Oh, well, I know, you know, my, my neighbor's on snap or my grandma's on snap, or they might not like immediately make that connection. Yeah. So, um, I think it's easier for people to just say, Oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And like, it is, if you look at the polling, um, I think across the board, it's, it's pretty popular, um, to the work impose requirements. Work requirements, or to, yeah, um, you know, to just well to want to uh, cut the program <laughs> to promote, yes, yeah. Yes. So I think if you phrase it saying, "Do you think two million um, low-income people should get sanctioned off of SNAP or what, however else you'd phrase it?" It's all about how you phrase it. That yeah. would probably a much less popular um, idea. Yeah, I would imagine. So. You know, some of it is how we talk about these
2: things. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to take a really quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors. Um, But when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about the sustainability and and, um, conservation uh, programs that are under threat. And uh, what we, um, and we're going to get Helena your thoughts on what to look for in the coming weeks. So stay tuned.
1: 100 Bogart has made much progress over the past year since their grand opening. They are a growing community of professional freelancers, entrepreneurs, and startups. Their dedicated team guarantees you receive a productive and worry-free work environment. 100 Bogart is currently filling up their two-person to 12-person private offices. The spacious pop-up gallery, premier rooftop, and brand new full floor with terrace are available for your next event. Podcast rooms, conference rooms, and meeting spaces are also available for booking. 100 Bogart hosts events like art exhibitions, pop-up stores, product launches, and fashion shows. Heritage Radio Network is a proud member of the 100 Bogart community and often holds events in the building. Visit 100bogart.com to schedule a tour
2: and learn more. And we're back on Eating Matters, where today we are talking all about the Farm Bill with um, Politico's Food and Ag senior reporter, Helena Bottomiller Um Okay, so I want to shift. We talked a lot about SNAP. Um, I want to talk more about farmers themselves uh, and how this bill will affect them. So we know farmers are struggling more than ever. It's a slump in corn-soybean prices. Milk prices are down 40% since 2014. Um, overall, farmer income is the lowest since 2006. It's a it's a mess right now. So, Alina, can you tell us about how, um, you know, how if anything, some of these issues are being addressed in the current version of the bill, and if there is any, you know, I'm thinking about the possibility for a program like the like supply management mechanisms that some people have talked about.
3: Yeah, it's a really interesting question, like how the the current like, state of affairs which is basically low commodity prices and really really intense trade anxiety, mm-hmm. how all of that like interplays with the farm bill and we're actually seeing that um, those issues aren't really interplaying with the farm bill as much as you would think and the, one of the big reasons is that the trade or the Trump administration has set aside 12 billion dollars in aid just for the um, tariff impact. Right. From the different trade, you know the the different what work. Some people call it a trade war. I think yeah, <laughs> everyone has different interpretations of what what exactly it is. The trade anxieties. <laughs> so because of that, um, twelve billion dollars set aside, um, and because this farm bill overall on the different um, commodity programs is largely status quo. It doesn't really do anything new that's targeted at getting farmers more money. I mean, it basically locks in the same crop, very similar crop insurance policy, very similar commodity programs that farmers already have. Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't do a ton new directed at, at that, uh, the anxiety, the economic anxiety that, that farmers and producers are facing. Uh, we're actually hearing now that like, uh, Farm groups come to Washington and like barely even talk about the farm bill. They want to talk about trade. Huh. Um, they they're talking yeah. They, so they're so focused on these other issues, and I think a lot of groups are kind of making the bet that whatever wherever this farm bill lands, um, it will largely be locking in the risk management programs they already have. Okay. So we're kind of in an interesting place where you know, you would think that. Um, I mean, I'm not to say the farm bill isn't important. It it definitely is. But I think because it doesn't contain a a lot of new policy just directed at the the trade anxieties and the low commodity prices, um, it's not as much of a discussion point in terms of like, you know, we need an immediate farm bill. Whereas, um, there was a lot of, um, actually right after the, the house farm bill came out, um, That was one of the criticisms that Colin Peterson had, the ranking member in the House. He was like, why aren't we doing more (laughs) to sort of, you know, address these low price? (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, dairy is a really good example. Like, Mm -hmm. what is, you know, what is the Farm Bill doing to, like, really step in? And I am absolutely not an expert in dairy policy. It's like the one thing I stay away from <laughs> because it's so complicated. Yeah, I mean, you should have my colleague Catherine Boudreaux on sometime to talk about dairy policy. But yeah, uh, I, I don't think there's a sense that that what lawmakers are looking at in the farm bill is um, is really going to Make be targeted at this low yeah this low price environment we're in. I mean the 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 reality is like we need. More markets. We need, you know, how do you get higher prices? You have more demand. So those bigger picture problems are really going to be plaguing ag um, for a while.
2: Or you limit supply, right? Isn't that
3: so? There's your other, there's your other uh, option. Um, You know, I I have not heard any talk about that really in Washington about. Yeah, I mean, there's always sort of the the chatter about, you know, what to do about dairy. We have so yeah. much milk. and, and The um, prices are so low. Isn't that, is that and what Canada farmers does? Are really, yeah, so they have supply management and, you know, producers there, I think, are pretty happy with it. I mean, they haven't seen the same just... Um,
2: like depression and prices de- are dep- yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, and their, their producers are not nearly as stressed about I mean we have dairy farmers going under like I don't know what the current rate is but I mean you 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 can just if you have a dairy um Google alert it's like constant like how many just like heart-wrenching stories yeah. are are happening across the country is, because we still have a lot of a lot of dairy farmers that are they're not that big mm-hmm. um we also have tons of mega dairies but um, There's a lot of family farmers that are really hurting right now, and um, And there isn't—I mean, I think you you hear more, like, supply management chatter um, outside of Washington, actually, than you do here. I don't think any of the major groups are— talking about it are pushing for that. Yeah.
2: One of the things I, um, I want to go back to, um, that I, I meant to ask at the top was with the expiration of the bill, what, um, programs are currently, what will kind of continue and what programs are just like
3: stopped and what,
2: what does that look like?
3: So snap, um, crop insurance, sort of the big programs continue on, um, some of the commodity policies will revert to really old policy. Like, I think it's like 1939 at the end of the year. So there's sort of a, another deadline for, um, a lot of the commodity, the commodity programs are, um, they do not want to hit the end of the year without a farm bill. Like they will end up extending the farm bill. If we get to that point and we don't have a deal, okay. but there's a whole bunch of other programs in between ca- called, um, they've long been called orphan programs that's their name but um so sad i think that i know that the national sustainable agriculture coalition calls them tiny but mighty Mm -hmm. and i kind of think that's a an interesting way to like rebrand those programs because they're so it's things like um foreign market uh development which promotes international trade value-added producer grants which um USDA, you know, can give grants to to communities that want to do like, you know, they want to build like a, a wine processing uh, facility, or they want to, you know, pack more pomegranates in California, or you know, there's just diff- all these communities across the country can apply for these grants, um, and it basically helps um, small value-added ag businesses kind of uh, expand or get off the ground. And there's technical assistance for specialty crops. There's farmer's market promotion program. There's all these small, or as NSAT calls them, tiny but mighty. I think all together they make up like 1% of the farm bill or something. But a lot of these programs uh, don't have permanent funding and they don't have permanent authorization. So they are technically in limbo right now. They're... um, like it and on top of that there's conservation programs that can't take new contracts they don't have like they have funding but they don't have authority there's like I think it's almost 40 in all programs that mm-hmm. are like left in the trade what so does this look like of, oh go ahead
2: no do they just like turn the lights off and go home like well this is done like what does it look like when the, you know on October they 1st <laughs> yeah as
3: far as we know no, no one is <laughs> but they, have to, they have to figure out what to do in the interim. Like, they might have to post, like, you know, we're not, we can't process anything new. We can't take any new applications. It, what it does is it creates a backlog in some cases. Uh-huh. So all these programs are on different timelines. If they're supposed to take applications during this time, uh, it will set them back. They'll be behind next year when, in theory, we will have a farm bill. Um, there's uh, also possibility that some of these uh, some of these programs like they won't really be able to plan very well for next year because they don't know what their funding level is going to be. There's sort of it's just a lot of uncertainty. So a lot of uh, a lot a lot of um, especially like sustainable ag. Advocates have really called the expiration of the farm bill irresponsible because yeah. so many of these programs are left in the lurch. They, this isn't really the way to run ag policy, right, yeah. to have this massive bill expire. Um, but at the same time, lawmakers um, didn't want to discuss a short-term extension for the farm bill because it takes off a lot of the pressure to get it done. To get oh, the whole thing done, right? Yeah. To get to get a bill, to, yeah. If you keep kicking the, the can deal. down the so, road. So yeah, if you were to extend it for, I don't even know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, it really like. I mean, I always joke Congress is like a bunch of high schoolers that need a deadline to get anything <laughs> done, <laughs> yes. um, and and like if you were to short term extend, it's sort of like you know it's like your professor giving you an extension. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no I would take to it next week. Yeah. So, I think. <laughs> there's been this, yeah. There's been this tension between like whether or not it's irresponsible to that extent.
2: You can just, if you do what I did, which is like, you know, I'm gonna be a little delayed on this assignment, but I just, I really want to make sure to get it right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. that's what. That's what I. <laughs> Sometimes it worked. So, um, and, you know, great, c- c- you know, creating a backlog in Washington. Um, that's always a good thing. So in terms yeah. of, <laughs> in terms of. Backlogs,
3: what could go wrong? What right? could go like wrong? What could go wrong?
2: <laughs> it's like bad if you know that it's going to happen as opposed to right. like, it's just, you know, it's just happening. because That's how it is. So what about, mm-hmm. um, you know, what are, ha- have there been any conservation programs that have been very, um, like, sticking points, you know, controversial or have those yeah. pretty much been like part? Like, yes, we agree that we need to do these things for the future of our health and like our food system.
3: Yeah, the the House and Senate farm bills do have different uh, visions for conservation. So, um, the House would eliminate. Um, well, I guess it would phase it out the conservation stewardship program, which basically helps. Um, producers, like, cover the cost of certain practices that are considered better for the environment. So um, it would fold it into EQUIP. I don't know how much you want to go into, like, the specific programs, but basically yeah. it would change how these programs look, mm-hmm. and it would also cut about 800, I think it's 800 million over a decade, I believe that's the, the cut. So it would reduce funding, and that's where groups uh, especially environmental groups, get pretty um, upset, right? They don't want to see money coming out of conservation programs yeah, conservation programs, you know, have, create financial incentives for for producers to uh, Innovate. either improve their practices yeah. or keep doing you know, some of, the, some of these programs help um, make it financially feasible to keep um, up whatever conservation plan a, a, a farm might have. So, um, the cut is definitely an issue and I don't know where exactly negotiations are on the conservation um, programs Friend. but there was some pretty significant disagreements going into the um, going into the talk so I as far as I know they haven't settled That Um, what that title like is that just
2: about funding? Like, I don't understand why there's not a bipartisan agreement that, like, yes, the way we farm in this country really needs to be improved for you know future generations and to be able to like have viable soil. And like, I don't, I guess I can't wrap my head around like why people would disagree about that, or is it just money? At the end of the day,
3: I think there is broad agreement that these conservation programs are important. I think there is some disagreement about. Yes, funding, like the $800 million is, you know, a significant amount of money that wouldn't be going um, to producers. Um, But there is also some, there is some debate about, like, which kinds of conservation we should be incentivizing. So should we be incentivizing taking land out of production? Should we be incentivizing more practice-based? There is, like there is some disagreement I think about like what that should look like and one of the things environmental groups have argued recently is that we should be looking much more at outcomes so and I think that's a much more difficult question right because isn't the end goal like cleaner water Mm -hmm. okay if that's your end goal then how are you measuring the outcomes should you be paying um everyone in one watershed like based on uh how how much cleaner the water gets I mean and then, if you do that, like, how do you figure out who's contributing what? I mean, these are really complicated issues. Yeah. So, I think there is bipartisan agreement on just the general principle of conservation, but you get into the details and it becomes different. You get into the funding, it becomes a little bit more controversial. And I'm certainly not an expert on like the you know the merits of EQIP versus CSP versus CRP versus. I mean, there's all these acronyms. Yeah. But um, what I do know is that. Um, as far as I know, the, these issues have not been settled in the farm bill, so we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But of course, the Senate repeatedly says our bill is so bipartisan; just go with what we're doing. So. <laughs> I
2: mean, they might have a point at this, you know, at this point. Um, okay, so we're going to have to wrap up in a little bit, uh, a couple of minutes. But I want to ask, um, you know, something that's timely, which is the midterms, and I'm wondering, like, to the extent that you think the midterms are affecting the bill's progress and the likelihood that we're going to see it come through in the next couple of weeks.
3: The midterms are like the, the elephant in the room, I guess well, I mean, <laughs> it's like snap and the midterm. So there's no agreement on snap. And the big question is like, if the house flips, what does that mean for the farm adult talks? Right. Cause right. they, they couldn't get a deal going into, um, the midterm cycle, you know, the House and Senate have left town. Everyone's campaigning. Basically, what's happening right now is staff uh, level talks are continuing um, in DC, but the members themselves aren't, you know, they're not able to meet right now. Um, and the goal They're doing important things get- like
2: campaigning,
3: <laughs> not governing. Yeah, to, to be fair, <laughs> the yes. four members, none of them are in like tight races. So, yeah. you know, I think Stabenow's up by like I, I shouldn't her. even say it. it's like she's up by quite a bit now. Good, so, she's in my
2: home state, so it's you know Michigan's making me proud. Then
3: <laughs> I don't, I don't. I'm trying to think of like what the last poll was. I saw. I want to say she was up by like 18 points or something. She she is a pretty comfortable lead, I think. But um, but either way, you know, lawmakers like to be at home. They like to spend time. You know, you don't want to spend too much time in D.C. But there, so so we're in this this uh, recess right now. Lawmakers are not meeting. The goal is to try to get a deal and bring the um, farm bill in during the lame duck. But the big question is, if the House flips Democrat, you know, um, Conaway will still be chair until the end of the year, but will be in this lame duck phase. So how does that change his calculation? Like, if he knows that the House is going to be Democrat next year, is he more likely to cut a deal on SNAP? Is he less likely to cut a deal on SNAP? I think the conventional wisdom has been that he'd be more likely to, you know, kind of back down on some of the work requirement um, provisions, which would, in theory, make it easier, although there's still quite a bit of disagreement on, like I said, no section of the farm bill that we know of has been settled. There's big disagreements on, uh, you know, is also trying to get more – assistance for cotton farmers at the expense of producers in other states so there's controversy over that so there's there's so many issues that need to be worked out but the big question is how does the midterms change Conway's calculus on SNAP and how does that affect you know the likelihood that they'll get it done and I don't think we know the answer right. to you know what his reaction will be to that but that is going to be a big a big part of the equation here and I do think it's fair to say that like all these members they want to get it done I mean even Colin Peterson who in theory would be chairman of the House Agriculture Committee in the new Congress he even even he is saying, like, I do not want to do this next year. Like, let's yeah. get it done. He yeah. doesn't want to write his own farm bill next year, <laughs> even though, you know, some people would say, well, why not? Like, yeah you know, this is... You're like, no. So, I mean, he's he's been through this. So he, I think, realizes, like, the all importance. of this work that's been done, they want to get it done. And the you asked about procedure earlier. Yeah. If this goes into January, may, they have to start over. They have to... I mean, they, they can reintroduce their bill, but they have to pass them again. they yeah. have to, they have to go because it's a technically a new Congress. So
2: yeah.
3: well, we're talking a lot of work that would have to start over.
2: Right. Um, okay. So that, so the Conways reaction and, and just kind of like where it all shakes out, um, in terms of, you know, in the house, uh, is the thing that you yeah, think is to watch.
3: That's the big thing to yeah. watch
2: for sure. Um, yeah. last question. Is there anything, um, you know, as we wrap up that you want people to, um, that you think needs more attention? Anything about the bill or the process that you want you you want to be like you know w- waving your arms like, pay attention to this, people.
3: <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I think the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> no, all of it. So you know, it's Yeah, all of it. Uh, I think. Um, look, the the farm bill. I think, you know, if someone's listening to this program, they probably understand on some level, like, the farm bill's important, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's important. Um, but the way we talk about these issues, I think, needs to become a little bit more nuanced. You know, we need to be able to um, uh, think think about, like, ag policy and food nutrition policy in a more comprehensive way. And I, I don't know what the answer is there, but I just I feel like... We, we're getting into a place where we're even more oversimplifying things, right? Like, even in how we read about these uh, these bills, and I think part of it's probably the media environment, right? Like, that so much of what we read is, like, short. And, right. Um, well, but, you know, I- it's it like bullet points and, you know, tweets and all that. So I think that, that makes it really difficult to have these nuanced conversations about it. but. Um, so, reading up on the details, you know, following groups that uh, agriculture groups that you think are doing important work, you know, to to follow this more, I think is it's it's important because it impacts a large part of our economy, and of course, all of us who are eating food, uh, Three we times have a, a day. in it.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, people need to listen to um the my show. <laughs> Shameless yes, plug
3: oh, for and, my own. show and also, show. <laughs> and also uh, subscribe to Morning Agriculture. If you yes. Google morning agriculture, you can keep tabs and that's a pretty I think approachable way to follow things we absolutely. try to keep things really really accessible. Mm-hmm. Um you do not wanna be using a you, you want to keep acronyms to a minimum as much as possible. So we try to do that.
2: It is, I read it every single morning and it is one of the most informative and approachable, um, you know, like, like summary roundups of everything you need to know, um, related to food and ag. Okay. We are going to have to leave it there. Helena, where can people find you online to read more about your stuff? And, um, you know, what's your, where are you on Twitter? So I'm
3: on Twitter at H bottom and you should Google morning agriculture and you'll find Politico's morning agriculture. It's a daily newsletter that you can sign up for free. So I highly recommend that.
2: Awesome! All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great.
3: Yeah. Thanks for having me anytime.
2: Um, okay, uh, I want to give a big thanks to our sponsors for their generous su- support. Um, show music is by Tim Archer. All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the HRN website or as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe, let me know what you think. Let me know if there's something that you want me to cover that I haven't already. I'm Jenna Lee Ute, and thank you for listening. Okay.